Michigan Rise Pre-Seed Fund 3 is proud to be a sponsor of Michigan Venture Capital Association's podcast series, Michigan VC Talk. Michigan Rise was founded in 2020 with support from the Michigan State University Foundation and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation to invest in early stage high-tech startups. This funding enables Michigan tech companies with high growth potential to meet near-term milestones and raise downstream funding for future growth. Michigan Rise partners with MVCA members focused on the earliest stages of commercialization to identify and support high potential technology startups across Michigan with capital, mentoring, assistance with grant funding, and more. To learn more about Michigan Rise, visit www.michiganrise.com. Welcome to Michigan VC Talk. My name is Ara Tapuzian, and I'm the Executive Director for Michigan Venture Capital Association. On today's podcast, we're happy to bring back Jeff Farah, General Counsel for National Venture Capital Association. Jeff's role with NVCA is to advocate before Congress, the White House, and agencies for pro-entrepreneurship policies and leads in-house legal matters for the association. Jeff discussed with me many of the 2022 policy priorities their organization will face, and this show will be of interest to all VCs around the country. So please join us for my conversation with Jeff Farah. Thank you so much, Ara. It's great to be with you. Always appreciate collaborating with MVCA, and I've got a lot of friends in the Michigan venture ecosystem, so I'm very glad to do it. Excellent. Well, thanks again for coming. So let's just jump in, uh, Jeff, and, and you know, let's talk about last year a little bit. Maybe you can uh, recap some of the activities as well as you know, provide some of your own observations of you know, what went on in the political environment that pertains to venture capital in 2021. Sure, I'd be glad to. I think that you know, for folks that are that are tracking a lot of the work that NBCA has done, it was certainly a, a very very packed year in terms of legislative items that, that took place, and and a lot of those are going to be issues that we'll continue to work on in in 2022. I think that just because we've turned the calendar doesn't mean that a lot of the issues end up changing. And I think we'll probably get into some of the details here, but I think that, you know, there, there was a handful of things that were taking place on Capitol Hill, but also a lot that were going on at federal agencies that, that impacted venture capitalists, as well as all of your, your portfolio companies. I think that one thing that is was, was certainly one that was very time consuming was around both the bipartisan infrastructure package that ended up passing and, and was signed into law by the president as well as the Build Back Better Act, which was, was the, of course, the, the partisan exercise using budget reconciliation rules that did not make it over the finish line. And, and there's certainly a, a lot of detail that can be provided about, about some of the, the items there um, that we can, we can get into. Other issues that, that we were quite active on were around antitrust policy. This is something that's relatively new for, for NBCA, and we, we don't really get involved in, in the vast majority of, of what's gone on around the scrutiny of, of large technology platforms. But one area that, that we are very sensitive to that we know impacts VCs and portfolio companies is around acquisitions and some of the proposals out there to really restrict or even prohibit M&A activity by, by certain actors in the ecosystem. 
A couple of things to quickly flag uh, our immigration policy. So we continue to, to push forward on passage of a startup visa so that foreign born founders can come to the United States to launch the next generation of, of great American companies. And, and that's something that we've been active on for a number of years. And then um, also worth noting is, is some legislative activity around U.S. competitiveness, generally speaking. There was an exercise that's still ongoing that, that I'm happy to dig into around a, a bill that was formerly known as the Endless Frontier Act that would make a lot of key investments into to basic research and technology transfer. That bill ended up passing the Senate last year and was hung up in the House. But uh, this week, actually, we've seen renewed attention to that. And, and I think we're going to get into a lot of the House activity that, that's gone on. So those are some of the, the big ones at the legislative angle. You know, I think another thing we saw last year was, was really some renewed interest among the regulatory bodies. And, and some of that are things that took place at the Securities and Exchange Commission that, that we're going to be active on in, in 2022. Um, but other ones were things around, say, beneficial ownership regulations that really took place because of, of a law called the Corporate Transparency Act that passed in, in 2020. So those are some of the highlights from, from, from 2021. Uh, you know, uh, certainly not a lot of time to, to catch our breath, but, um, you know, would love to talk a little bit about the outlook for 2021 and any of those issues. Right. And, and you've really kind of laid it up nicely for our discussion today on what those priorities that you said of was last year, and, and it's going to continue into, into this year. I'd also add that, you know, for those that are uh, on this, uh, in this webinar too, feel free to, you know, post some questions. We'll, we'll save some time at the end and, and certainly try to get to whatever questions that kind of come in. So you can send those in through the, the chat function or the, the Q and a, so Jeff, let's go back then a second. Uh, you talked about build back better plan. And so it did have, you know, did end on a positive note. Um, where are we right now with that bill? Where, what's the status of that? Sure. So right now we're, we're in a bit of limbo. And so I'm, I'm sure many people understand this quite well, but towards the end of the year, uh, Senator Manchin ended up walking away from the negotiations. Of course, his participation is needed because Democrats are using the budget reconciliation rules, which means that they can pass this by a majority of the Senate with the vice president, of course, casting a, a tie-breaking vote. And the reason this is so important is it allows Democrats to bypass the filibuster. So there's no need for a 60-vote threshold to, to pass the Build Back Better Act. And so what that ends up meaning is that every, every member of the party has an incredible amount of power. And the two senators, you know, like it or not, the two senators that have kind of exercised that power the, the most have been Senator Sinema from Arizona and Senator Manchin from, from West Virginia. And so that's why you, you saw so much attention being given towards the viewpoints of, of really those two U.S. senators. And, and they certainly were the ones who were raising a lot of concerns. And so those negotiations took place really the last couple of quarters of, of last year. And it culminated in, in Senator Manchin announcing before Christmas timeframe that he would be walking away from the negotiations. And that was kind of viewed as the, the death knell really of, of, of Build Back Better. And, and certainly something that, that wasn't welcome news if you're in the White House or, or things of that sort. 
And so it's really unclear at this point what the status of, of these negotiations are. Uh, it, it's something where you, you've seen the White House certainly express a lot of interest in, in starting those discussions again. When Senator Manchin has been asked about it, you know, he, he has indicated there, there are no active negotiations going on, that things are on pause, as, as, as he has put it. And so it's not clear what's going to really resuscitate that. The president, for, for his purposes, had indicated recently at a press conference that, that he would be okay with seeing the bill broken up into chunks, as he put it. So kind of doing more of a piecemeal approach. Um, you have to remember that we're, we're talking out about a proposal that the, the last version of it was clocking in at about $1.75 trillion. And so there's been some discussion in Washington about, you know, what what type of package might be able to move forward? Could you conceivably have a, a 500 or so billion dollar package that is only focused on some of the, the smaller items? Could you could you include things around climate change? Uh, could you in, include a, a child tax credit, which is a, is a big motivator for a lot of Democrats in, in the House and the Senate? And so the, the contours of this are, are at least at this time unknown. And, you know, for, for our purposes, you know, it's really an opportunity for us to kind of go in and revisit where things were towards the end of last year and, and really make sure that a lot of our equities are, are taken care of. And what I'm thinking about are specifically, you, you had the bill, at least in the, the last versions that, that, was, that was out there in the fall and winter, it, it did not notably include a, a tax increase on carried interest or on the top line capital gains rate. That was certainly something that was very welcomed by us. And it was something that we were actively lobbying on during the beginning of the year, middle of the year right. as the package was, was being put together. And so kind of job number one for us is making sure that that remains in a, in a good spot. We don't, we don't have any reason to believe that it wouldn't be, but at the same time, you know, you can see a situation where the White House, Mansion, Cinema, others start getting together and saying, okay, you know, could we put together some kind of a, a smaller scale package? And you want to make sure that you're not on the chopping block, so to speak. You want to make sure that all the parties kind of are, are starting from the pay fors that they had for the for the 1.75 trillion dollar package, which did not include anything on on carry and on on capital gains. And so beyond that, the other area that we were incredibly active on that I think a lot of people are tracking is around changes to qualified small business stock rules. And so this is a, a capital gains exclusion for investments into certain early stage companies that I think a lot of founders, especially and, and early employees, benefit from. Um, this was something where in the proposed Build Back Better text, there was a, a significant haircut. The, the capital gains exclusion went from 100% down to 50%. And we have concerns about some of the drafting that would, that would effectively take that down to actually about 30%. And so that was something that, that we were very, very involved in the fall and winter as part of a, a really a coalition of entrepreneurial and, and startup organizations in advocating for, for changes to that. And so we, we've not taken our, our foot off the pedal as, as it relates to that. We continue to meet with offices and really stress the degree to which this would, would harm founders and, and others in, in the ecosystem that we really rely upon to create jobs in, in places like Michigan and, and across the, the Midwest. And so that campaign continues irrespective of, of whether or not we ultimately see a, a new BBB, maybe we'll call it, you know, Build Back Better 2.0. 
And, and the reason that continues, regardless of the status of that, is that we don't have the luxury of, of really only popping our heads up whenever the, the new bill gets released. And so we have to do a lot of that work now to really put ourselves into a, a better position um, when, when things materialize. So yeah. I guess last thing I would just say about BBB before um, we're glad to turn to other topics if you if you like, is that it's also not clear kind of where the Build Back Better Act gets slotted into a lot of the other things that are, that are going on. You know, there, there is clearly uh, a, a desire on, on behalf of a lot of Democrats to kind of shift into items that they can get past and, and run on because there's a concern that Democrats might lose either or both houses of Congress. And so you've seen a lot of activity recently around this China, China competitiveness bill uh, that I think we should, we should get into some detail on. Um, you also have a lot of issues that are gonna materialize around the retirement of, of Justice Stephen Breyer from the Supreme Court. That's something where you know, we anticipate that the Senate will, will have a, a lot of activities and perhaps have its hands full trying to deal with that. And a lot of that depends upon how contentious it actually becomes. And so this is all to say, um, it is not entirely clear kind of when and in what form BBB pops up, but, you know, we're, we're always trying to be prepared. Yeah. Well, you know, and to your point of, of not taking your foot off the pedal, I mean, I think that leads really into the, the next question and, and something that I think, you know, we, we uh, see challenges to in, in Michigan is just really the, the overall misunderstanding of the industry. I mean, this is something that you're working on. I, I would imagine it's a, it's a daily basis for you, but what, so what right now, what, what are the perceptions by policymakers regarding the venture community? You know, I, I think it's, we often talk at NBCA about kind of the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde <laughs> issue that, that goes on in, in Washington. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, something to note here is that that a lot of our activity tends to be driven both by excitement and about the promise of venture and startup activity and, and people, you know, wanting to involve our ecosystem, but also this, this lack of understanding that, that goes on about venture capital. And if you think about the 535 members of, of the House and the Senate, you know, they are they are routinely contacted by very large companies that are, you know, have significant lobbying operations that frankly dwarf the, the size of the entire venture industry for, for really many, many companies. Uh, and then they also are contacted by, you know, local interests, local small business kind of people talking about things. And so a lot of times when policymakers who, who don't have a lot of venture and, and startup activity in their backyard learn of, of the companies that, that we're all involved in, they don't really know what to do with us, right? They don't know what category to, to put us in. Right. And I think people kind of inherently understand that there has been so many high growth companies that have, that have grown because of venture capital. But it's something where, you know, we're a bit of an unusual beast in, in many ways, and, and that sometimes you know, leads to, to really a, a lack of understanding. You know, I, I think also that the, the one thing that, that occurs to me is that we oftentimes get a little bit of a negative perception because of other industries that we either closely resemble or kind of reside alongside. And, you right. know, a lot of times you, you think about something where, you know, there's a lot of anger and, and angst around other types of private funds, whether they are hedge funds or buyout funds. And, you know, there is certainly a lot of misunderstanding in terms of what it is that venture is doing vis-a-vis -vis those other types of funds. And then you think about the fact that VCs are invested in significant 
amounts into technology companies. And, and the technology industry has certainly taken its lumps in recent years, specifically some of the large tech platforms that, that um, we can talk about right. in, in the antitrust context. And so we're kind of closely proximate to them. And then you think about healthcare investors, and there's certainly been a lot of concern over the years around things like drug pricing and you know, a lot of anger around pharmaceutical companies and, and certain practices that have gone on. So we're sort of proximate to those as well. And so a lot of times what we're trying to do is make sure people understand that we're not exactly those things, but, but we are standing for the proposition that we need a lot of these young companies to kind of come in and, and sometimes disrupt a lot of those incumbents but also to be able to kind of bring the, the jobs and innovation to the American people. So you, you are correct that we do a lot of explaining and a, and a lot of education. Yeah. And that can be very difficult when you consider the fact that there are, first of all, a lot of congressional offices that you need to go and talk to and develop relationships with. And then you also think about things like the wave of retirements that, that is going on on Capitol Hill right now. And, you know, it's, frankly, very disappointing when we see a member of Congress who's been very supportive of our industry retire because you think, gosh, I, you know, I'm back to the drawing board with uh, trying to build a new relationship. And so, you know, I certainly understand why a lot of people are retiring now. It's a frank, it's a pretty ugly environment in, in politics, but at the same time, it, uh, it makes our job a little bit harder. Jeff, are you, you know, as far as helping trying to change some of those perceptions, I would assume then you're, you're partnering with founders and either, you know, giving testimony or, you know, doing these congressional visits. I mean, any real maybe examples you can share of some, some wins in that, in that regard, because I think that applies to us and frankly, everybody in the, in the country when it comes to trying to change perceptions. You know, I, I think that, you know, one thing that I would say is that we're very particular about not trying to boil the ocean. I mean, we, you know, there, there are, as I said, 535 members of Congress. And when you are, when you have precious resources, this is just like a, you know, a venture back company, right? You've got to choose your points of engagement. And so right. it's not as if we're, we're trying to knock on the door of, of every single member of Congress, because the reality is, is that, you know, some of them are not interested in people that invest capital as a living. Um, others of them are are in situations where you know they don't see the promise of venture capital for, for their constituents, but there is a sizable chunk of, of policymakers that that do understand or at least want to understand what venture capital does, and so those are the ones where we work very very hard to try and develop relationships, especially when those individuals are in you know, on committees of jurisdiction or in positions where they might be, be somewhat influential over something. And so, you know, we, we try and be very particular about, right. uh, about where we engage. And when we can pair people up with, with local VCs or founders or economic development organizations, we really try and do that. And so, you know, of course, always happy to work with MVCA, but I think this is, you know, kind of an easy one where talking to the Michigan delegation and making sure that they understand what's going on on the ground that's something that's a, a natural fit for us and, and something we love to do. And I would say that's, that's really where a lot of our best relationships have kind of begun. Yeah. And it's an on, it's an ongoing process. It's not just really a one and done one reach out. And then that's the end of it. Well, okay. So you talked about uh, a lot of, you know, we touched on a lot of different subjects that we want to really, I think, delve into this a little bit deeper, which kind of falls under priorities that you've got for uh, this year. Now, I know you you recently, um, and you've got a link for it, 
for uh, blog posting um, of, of really what's going on, what you're looking at legislatively uh, this year. Uh, and we could we can certainly put that. I've got that handy. Um, we could put that in the uh, in the chat as well for people to take a look up. Oh, you, you beat me to it. All right. So um, it, we're not going to have everybody. We don't want everybody reading that now. But let's let's talk about a few different areas. Let's talk about the the platform competition and opportunity act first. Sure. So I mentioned at the outset that, that this issue of antitrust has, has been one that's really kind of come to the forefront in the, in the last couple of, of years. And so the particular bill that you just mentioned, this is one that is an effective ban on M&A activity by the five or so major technology platforms that, that are out there. And so, you know, this is part of the response to concerns about, about big tech that, that have gone on. And one of the recipes, so to speak, that, that people have been kind of moving towards is this idea that the M&A activity of large technology companies needs to be curtailed uh, to some degree at least. And so the, the kind of bumper sticker that is behind a lot of this is, is concerns around things like Facebook's acquisition of Instagram or, or of WhatsApp and, and the, the thought that these large tech companies are acquiring companies in their infancy when they do not yet pose a, a real competitive problem to the incumbent. But they, but they might be able to. And the idea is that the larger company you know, could acquire them on the cheap and, and kind of deal with the problem before it really comes to fruition. So this is something where you know, certainly we're not in any, any position or have any interest in, in defending the large tech companies out there. I mean, they, they're all formerly venture-backed companies and, and that's great and all. But at the same time, like we're not you know, in the business of, of trying to defend you know, Alphabet and, and, and Facebook and, and, and whatnot. But at the same time, what we're trying to make policymakers understand is that M&A activity has always been an incredibly important thing within the startup ecosystem. And despite the fact that you have these large tech companies here, acquisitions are not any more common in our ecosystem today than they were 20 some odd years ago when these companies didn't even exist. And so it's really not in keeping with the data to say that these large companies are coming in and, and gobbling up just tons and tons of companies. I think there are some notable kind of anecdotes that have driven a lot of the policymaking, and that does concern us. And, and so we've certainly tried to make sure policymakers understand that the data doesn't support the fact that, that we're seeing kind of runaway M&A activity. And, and the way we judge this just for a little bit of background is kind of by looking at the ratio of IPOs to acquisitions on any given year. And it's it's fairly constant over time and, and maybe made it a little bit of an uptick on the acquisition side, kind of in the immediacy after the financial crisis for, for a variety of reasons. And so I think that we've really had a role here in, in trying to make sure that policymakers understand that when you restrict acquisitions by larger companies, you're, you're fundamentally impacting the party on the other side of the table. And that person, that individual who founded a company, has gone through some analysis and determined that an acquisition is the best thing for the company and the investors and, and the employees and whatnot. And, and to really disrupt that, that balance would, would be something that would be very, very harmful to the overall startup ecosystem because, frankly, acquisition activity is, is an incentive for people getting into entrepreneurship in the first place. I mean, people, people ultimately need to have an, an exit to, to realize liquidity and whatnot. And then finally, I'll just say that a lot of this is also going against the backdrop 
of it becoming harder and harder for small and medium-sized cap companies to go onto the public markets. And so, you know, we are concerned at, at a time when it is difficult for companies to go public, also making it harder for them to be acquired would be a real bottleneck in the ecosystem. And so we're working actively against the Platform Competition Opportunity Act. It's something where the, the bill did pass the House Judiciary Committee on a very fractured vote. We were able to get significant dissension from a lot of allies of our industry. And it has not yet been taken up by the Senate Judiciary Committee, although there is an introduced version in the Senate. And so we are hopeful that we've been kind of kicking up enough dirt on this issue to keep it off the markup calendar for Senate Judiciary. But if it does come forward, we'll, we'll certainly be prepared. And so um, that's all legislative uh, issues that are, that are going on. Kind of last thing just to mention, Ara, on this issue is that there's a whole regulatory agency side of these things as well. Right. And uh, certainly the, the Federal Trade Commission under Chair Lena Khan is, is incredibly active. Um, she has a very firm viewpoint about a lot of the large tech companies that are out there. And, and we do get concerned that, that a lot of that trickles down into our ecosystem as well. And so the FTC and Justice Department recently announced a comment period to, to look at something called the merger guidelines, which would, which would be something that might impact M&A activity in our ecosystem. And so uh, we're likely to be commenting on that and, and being actively involved in that process as well. So this is also relatable to what the U.S. Securities and Exchange uh, Commission has been talking about too, right? I mean, when you're talking about some continued transparency and, and whatnot, you, you had mentioned to me offline that um, Chair Gensler had, had made some comments on that. Anything you wanted to, you could add to that? Yeah, you know, I think the SEC issues and kind of regulatory issues generally are, are going to be very active for us. And, and that's especially the case because at some point with the midterm elections, you'll see legislative activity kind of calm down a, a little bit, at least. It's probably not going to happen until the, the, the summertime. But a lot of the agencies are really pushing for, for action here. And, and Chairman Gensler is someone who I, I think that he has a strong interest in seeing movement here on, on, a, on a lot of his priorities. Um, regulation of private funds and private companies is something that he has talked about recently. And, and perhaps folks saw he was he talked about this a week or so ago on, on CNBC on Squawk Box. And it was also a Wall Street Journal article that came out in this regard as well. And, and his concern is kind of twofold. On, on, on the private fund side, he is concerned about a lot of what he calls transparency issues that are going on in, in private funds. I think he is very, very sympathetic to a lot of limited partners that are perhaps pension funds and, and whatnot that would like to learn more about some of the, the fund managers. I think that, you know, for the most part, a lot of the concerns, as far as we can pick up, are again more around hedge funds and private equity right. buyout firms. The, the, the problem, of course, is that increasingly NBCA members have had to register as, as registered investment advisors at the SEC. And as people well know, there's, there's a few reasons that, that you've kind of seen that. I think that the, the, the exempt reporting advisor category that, that NVCA was able to get um, as a part of Dodd-Frank many years ago, um, this is something where the definition has, has proven more problematic in, in recent years. I think that people purchasing secondaries has been one way that the, the non-qualifying basket, so to speak, has, has really filled up. Uh, issue. There's certainly people seeding fund of funds, and, and that's been something that has caused some issues as well. And then last, but certainly not least, cryptocurrency, blockchain 
you know, technology investments have also been non-qualifying investments. And so you kind of add that all together and more and more ERAs become RIAs. Well, why is that a problem? The, the, the problem is, is that other RIAs are the target of a lot of these, these regulatory measures. And so a good example is on Wednesday, the SEC had its open meeting to talk about rulemakings that, that are going on. And so one of the proposals were modifications to the so-called form PF. And the form PF is, is one that is required to be filled out by RIAs. And so if you, you look at the language that was used in the justification for why there was more transparency measures needed and more information needed to be provided on a, on a quicker basis to the SEC, they didn't talk about venture capital funds that, that happened to be RIAs because they you know, purchased too many secondaries or something like that. They talk again about buyout shops and, and hedge funds. And so we, we do get concerned there's not enough of a distinction between you know, the, the types of, of, of funds that are out there. And so that'll be something that we're going to be you know, quite active on. We, we do anticipate there'll be more proposals coming forward on, on private funds generally. And you know, we have our work cut out for us to go in there and, and make sure that people understand that when you're kind of going after RIs generally, you, you, you are in, in many cases also hitting, hitting venture funds. And I think that there also is you know, some concern that, that some of this activity does trickle down into ERAs as well. And, and that certainly would be a, a big moment for us. I think you know, the other thing to kind of turn to the other side of this coin is around regulation of, of private companies. And, and this is something where one of the Democratic commissioners, Commissioner Lee, gave a speech in, in the fall of, of last year. And, and she talked about this, this concept of private companies, quote, going dark. And, and what she's referring to is this idea that you have these very sizable private companies, you know, unicorns or, or even larger, you know, kind of private companies are in a position where they are, you know, significant employers, they, they've raised lots and lots of capital, and they're in the private market. So the SEC and other regulators just don't know as much about them as, as they would about companies on the public markets. And, and she refers to that as going dark because the SEC doesn't know as much as it would like to know about very significant companies that are out there. And so this is something where Chairman Gensler has indicated his interest in also uh, doing some activity around trying to uh, have additional requirements and disclosures on, on private companies. Obviously, that's something that, that gets our mind racing in terms of what that might mean. And you know, the, the, the piece that we've been, been saying and will continue to convey here is that there are a variety of reasons why venture-backed companies have, have remained on the private markets as long as many of them have. But in a lot of cases, the reason for that is the public markets haven't been all that inviting. And, and there's right. been a lot of capital available in the private markets to kind of stay private when you want to. And so it seems kind of like a strange thing to force companies to go public by making the private markets a really terrible place to be. So you know, we would rather have the focus be on making the public markets more inviting to really right. kind of bring in those, those private companies. So that's something where there's not any specific proposal that's out there, but we are, we are starting our advocacy efforts both within the agency as well as on Capitol Hill because we're, we're very mindful that this, this all could come relatively quickly. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, pro-innovation, pro-tech. Talk a little bit more about that. 
Sure. So I, you know, I mentioned that we we're kind of doing the look back at, at 2021, that this is something where we were very involved in, in the Senate passed product and, and worked very closely with Majority Leader Schumer and his team, as well as Senator Todd Young from, from Indiana, who's been a really great champion of our ecosystem over, over time in, in putting together the Endless Frontier Act. And, you know, obviously basic research investment and technology transfer has played a very important role in, in foundational and emerging technologies that, that venture has been involved with for a long time. And so that's all great news. But when we were really in the beginning points of talking about this bill, the, the piece that we were most focused on is on making sure that there is a, a commercialization and kind of private sector angle to this whole thing. Because the, the frustration that we have picked up on is that sometimes money goes into funding basic research and if all that kind of comes out at the at the tail end of that is a is a is a really widely read white paper that, that doesn't do a whole lot after that, I'm not sure that that's the best value for the taxpayer. I mean, ultimately, you know, the thing that that we would like to see is, is commercialization. And, and you all obviously have some amazing research institutions in, in Michigan that that do this sort of thing. And so there's a lot of language in in what was then known as the Endless Frontier Act to, to that effect. And so that bill ended up kind of getting wrapped into a, a larger measure called the U.S. Competition and Innovation Act, as you say, and that passed the, the Senate last year with, with 68 votes, which these days getting 68 members of the Senate to vote for something is, is, is pretty darn impressive. And so we were fairly frustrated, really, the, the second half of last year, because despite that, that really significant effort, it, it kind of waned in the House. And, you know, to be fair, the House was focused on other priorities like, you know, Build Back Better. And, and certainly Speaker Pelosi had a, had a difficult time making sure she was kind of keeping the different pieces of the Democratic Party together on, on that bill. Um, but nevertheless, we were disappointed not to see any action on it. And so uh, what we have seen really this week is the House kind of turning in earnest to this idea for, for the first time. And, you know, this is one where you, you have to kind of examine the politics and see that, you know, there's, there's no Build Back Better 2.0, as we called it before currently, and there are not other priorities kind of going on right now. And so this was a great opportunity for, for Speaker Pelosi to be able to turn to this bill, which, you know, might be a feather in the cap of, of Democrats that are running for re-election th this November in a, in a very tough political environment. And so what ended up happening was earlier this week, um, the Democrats ended up releasing a bill called the America Competes Act. And so that bill does a lot of things. It kind of pulls together things in the you know, National Science Foundation space and, and whatnot. But one piece that was uh, really encouraging to us is that we have been very involved, as I said before, on uh, the issue of creating a startup visa. And this is one where uh, we uh, have really gotten behind a bill by Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren from Northern California uh, called the Let Immigrants Kickstart Employment Act. And her bill would, would create a, a startup visa for foreign-born founders to be able to come here. And so that LIKE Act was substantially included in the, the larger competitiveness bill. That's very exciting to us because immigration has been a very, very tough thing to pass, yeah. as, as we all can appreciate. And so the idea that Congresswoman Lofgren was able to get her startup visa proposal included in this larger bill that, that's very likely to move forward is something that's it's, it's really great news for, for all of us. The, the trick, of course, is going to be making sure that it gets across the finish line. And you certainly could anticipate 
you know, some opposition out there and, and people saying, look, you know, this is not really what it is that we're focused on. And, and, and this is not, you know, the, the angle we're going with this bill and, and maybe it gets, you know, kind of on the cutting room floor, but we're certainly going to make a big push for it. We, we put out some public statements in the last uh, 36 hours or so to that effect. So um, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening here. I think that the house is very likely to take some action on, on their bill here in the next few weeks. And then the, the question is whether or not the House and the Senate go to conference to work out their, their differences and kind of put one product in front of the president for his signature, or if there's, you know, they do something what we refer to in Washington as ping-ponging, where, you know, one house kind of passes a bill and then hands it over to the other side and lets them pass their version. So we'll see, but it's all encouraging. And, and yeah. you know, I guess the, the big takeaway for us is that, you know, the country needs to get serious about making our country the best place in the world to start a high growth company. And, you know, it's taken a lot of you know significant investments by China in particular for policymakers to finally get serious about this. And so we're, we're really glad to see it. And we're, we're glad to partner with folks. Yeah, no, de- definitely, definitely agree with you on that. And that's, that's terrific. One, one last one would be the infrastructure bill. Um, you know, there's been past support for tech-based programs, you know, and there could be some more funding coming down the the road. Where where does that stand right now, Jeff? Yeah, well, you know, with with the bipartisan infrastructure package, just the, the the kind of trillion dollar package that that passed the, the middle of last year, that is now in law. And so what's happening now is the the various agencies that now have pools of money that that they can use for a variety of infrastructure related projects. Those things have all all begun in earnest. And so it means that we're going to be spending a lot of time this calendar year talking to you know agencies that we haven't spent a lot of time talking to historically. I mean, I'm thinking of you know the energy department and the transportation department and whatnot. It's not to say they're not incredibly important in what they do, but it, it's not something that's been kind of bread and butter for, for NBCA. But that said, you, you see these situations where the transportation department and the energy department and, and some others are very interested in making sure that they have the best technology to be able to deploy in a lot of these infrastructure projects. And so, you know, one dialogue that I would I would just highlight in particular that we have had is with the energy department around climate technologies. And we've been able to convene both climate investors as well as venture-backed companies in, in getting together to make sure that as the department moves forward on, on things like hydrogen, for example, that they have the situational awareness to see that there is a kind of different type of company out there than, than perhaps some of the large incumbents. And um, we'll be continuing to do that. And then also kind of be making sure that when the rules are written, they're not done in a way that would disadvantage venture-backed companies. And that sounds like a very kind of you know opaque thing to say, but the, the one thing to kind of take away from this is, you know, we look at what happened with programs like the Paycheck Protection Program, mm-hmm. where this was something that was supposed to be helping small businesses. And in the early days, there was, there was a kind of uh, rules and an effort underway that would have excluded venture-backed companies from the PPP program because of, of the way in which the companies were organized in terms of having equity investors from, from various firms and whatnot. So we you know, had a big fight about that and ultimately persevered and it was all great, but it, it took, frankly, too much effort. I mean, the, the, the government made it very, very difficult on us. And I think that our, the lesson learned from that is that, that unless you are stand up and be counted and kind of step forward, that you can inadvertently be excluded. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to get out in front of that to make sure that as 
folks want to be working with the energy department and, and anybody else that, that they'll be able to do that. So Jeff, as we're having this conversation, as I'm, as I'm listening to all this, and I, I would imagine too, that our members that are listening to this as well, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, all right, so what, what can we do here? You know, what does, where can MVCA help? Um, where, where, what can the investors themselves do? Any good action items that uh, you could pass along that Michigan should be uh, paying attention to or, or getting more involved in? You know, I, I think that you, you all are blessed in that you have a, a very active and, and, and uh, considerable congressional delegation that, that is you know, in Washington on key committees of jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times what, what's important is to really build those relationships so that there are not those types of unintended consequences where policymakers think they understand venture and startups, but they but they really don't. Right. I mean, right. so, you know. Not, not to pick on anybody in the delegation, but you know, Senator Stabenow and, and Peters need to be regularly hearing from high-growth venture-backed companies, venture investors, explaining what it is you all are trying to do in Michigan, explaining what the contributions are to the state, explaining how you know the vision for the future is, is much better than it is today. And so a lot of times that's just relationship building and it's making yeah. sure that people understand you're there because. Certainly larger companies, certainly larger interests, they, they are not being shy about this. They, they are not shy about making sure the congressional delegation understands who they are and what their footprint might be. And it, it's the sort of thing where a, kind of a constant drumbeat of that relationship building is incredibly important. And then when there's particular issues that are, that are coming forward, it makes the ask of going in and talking about the policy issues that much easier because you're not beginning the meeting by saying, you know, oh, by the way, there are venture capitalists in Michigan that you should know about. Um, so I, I, that would be the biggest kind of thing I would say. Um, one kind of related topic would be that, you know, one challenge you'll have in Michigan as NBCA has had at a national level is that you have retirements going on where people right. who are, you know, senior in, in Congress have, have decided to hang up their spurs and there's a new generation that's going to, to come to the forefront. And so you, you have to start the conversation all over again. And, and that can be very frustrating, but it, there, there's, there's really no substitute for it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just the lay, the lay of the land. That's always going to happen, but that's, you know, I'd highlight everything that you just, you just said, you know, Jeff, before I turn it over and we've got some questions. And again, I would encourage folks, we've got a Q and a section, you can uh, type it anonymously or, or whatnot. Um, you know, give us your questions. We're going to try and get to it. Jeff, you, you, you really talked a lot about the known unknowns. Um, are there any others, though, that you, you foresee uh, in, in this 2022 year that we should maybe look for or keep an eye on? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I write in the blog that we, we shared about kind of the, the, the known unknowns because I, I've worked for MBCA for six years now, and it feels like every year, you know, we, we start off and we talk about the things that we, we think are going to happen or, or we're likely to work on. And every year it feels like something kind of comes out of left field. Like, I mean, you know, I, I, I've talked with uh, Jan Garfinkel, our mutual friend o- over the years about how when I was interviewing to work at NBCA more than six years ago, you know, I, I didn't think that the venture industry would, would ever have to contend with things like the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States and, and kind of foreign investment scrutiny. But sure enough, it, it kind of came up in the 2018 timeframe, and we spent a lot of time working on it, including when, when Jen was, was board chair. And so, you know, that's something where 
it, it wasn't really predictable, but, but sure enough, it happened and it was significant. You know, I think a lot of the SEC regulatory issues that that we are likely to confront this year, you know, these are things where, you know, our strong suspicion was that at some point Chairman Gensler was going to move to kind of more action items as a part of his agenda. We didn't know exactly what those were going to be. Right. Um, sure enough, it seems like private funds and private companies is an area of interest from him. So, you know, we don't know to what degree this, how this stacks up vis-a-vis the other priorities. And so I, I think for more than anything, it, it's a matter of making sure that we remain prepared and are, are very flexible in terms of, of what we what we do. Um, I think that, you know, we've been fortunate in that over time, some pol- policy priorities of ours have, have passed into law and kind of become ones where they're a little more in the, in the rearview mirror. And, and thank goodness they, they do, because it kind of gives you a little bit of a, a resources opportunity to pursue some of the other challenges that you have. Okay, terrific. All right. Well, Jeff, I don't know if you could see some of these questions. We're going to jump into a, to a few of these. Um, I think the first one I'm going to start with is, um, because we've talked about this before, is the Volcker rule. And so uh, I'm going to just read questions as they are. The NVCA did some good work to get the Volcker rule uh, modified to exclude venture capital funds from its coverage. It was also working to exclude venture capital fund funds, but that didn't that exclusion didn't come through. Do you see any movement coming on that? You know, I, I thanks for the question. I I, I don't know that I do. I, I I'm happy to kind of dig in there to see if if we can get some more intel on any movement there. You know, my my sense is that. You know, we, we've probably seen what we're going to see for the time being on, on the Volcker rule. If you kind of think of like what the agencies are, are focused on these days, it's 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 more of a pro-regulatory approach than a deregulatory approach. And so, you know, we made sure to shoot our shot during the Trump administration, knowing that that, that was a, you know, certainly that administration had an attitude towards deregulation. And this is something that you know, we kind of took advantage of that. Um, I, I'm not so sure that the you know current SEC and Fed and, and whatnot is necessarily going to go down that, that same road. I think, you know, one example I would just give is around the issue I mentioned before around registered investment advisors. And, you know, we certainly tried very hard when Jay Clayton was the chairman of the SEC to, to get some relief so that not so many venture funds needed to register, that, that, that more could remain ERAs, even, for example, if they were purchasing secondaries that, that filled up the 20% bucket. That's something where, you know, we don't see a, a great opportunity for, for that to go forward under the Gensler era, and, and we're probably more of a defensive posture, but um, happy, to, happy to chat further about it. Okay. Uh, next question is recommendations on how to proceed with potential IP infringement reverse engineering by big tech companies on a portfolio company. Is this worth discussing with members of Congress? You know, I mean, I certainly I think, you know, ma- making members of Congress aware of issues that your portfolio companies are, are approaching or is, is, is not a bad idea. I mean, I, I think the only caution I would give is that members of Congress are, are probably not going to be that well positioned to do much about it. I mean, certainly this is something where, you know, maybe having conversations with the Patent and Trademark Office and, and you know, litigation obviously is, is one approach to kind of doing that. But, you know, it, 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 if you want to think of it in terms of a member of Congress, this story might be one data point or a couple of data points in, in how the member of Congress, Congress really perceives patents, intellectual property, generally speaking, and it might inform their approach to some legislative package down the line, but there's probably little they can do about it. And, you know, I, 
I don't know that a lot of members of Congress can, can really spend a lot of time kind of understanding some of those extremely sophisticated concepts. Okay. So we got one more question. I would remind folks we're um, getting close to the two o'clock hour. We do have some time for, for some more questions. Certainly uh, type that in the Q&A and, and we'll, we'll get to it. Um, Jeff, this one is uh, talking uh, a little bit more on the, well, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. And um, could you know the the impact that this could have on uh, portfolio companies and and such? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, just just a little bit of background for for other people on the call besides the the question asker is that the, there was a a suite of of five antitrust bills that were considered by the House Judiciary Committee. And one of them was the Platform Competition Opportunity Act that I mentioned before, which is an effective ban on acquisitions by the, the five technology platforms. There are other bills out there that do some things around kind of state AG powers around antitrust. That one's sort of seen as the, the, the least controversial of the lot. And then the, the bill that, that this individual asked about is, is kind of otherwise known as the so-called self-preferencing bill or non-discrimination bill. And, and the idea behind it is to make sure that, you know, companies like Apple or Alphabet or, or whatnot are not un unnecessarily or unduly preferencing their, their own products and services. And, and so this is one where we have made a very, very conscious choice in, in consultation with our board to only focus on the acquisition piece. And so we're not active at all on, on the American Choice and Online Innovation Act. Um, and so this is one where, you know, certainly I think that there is a wide viewpoint within the venture ecosystem yeah. about this bill. And, and people are not going to be surprised at all that, you know, some people have very, very negative stories about large technology companies doing things to them. I think, you know, we talked about the intellectual property piece with the previous question. I think, you know, certainly some are concerned about the way the platforms do preference their own products. Whereas others, you know, kind of see themselves as part of the same ecosystem and are concerned about the bill. So we don't have any unanimity in the venture industry on the other antitrust bills, but the acquisitions piece is the one that we we really we really do have a lot of, of people that are saying, look, this is really important. So we've not been involved in, in that bill. We don't anticipate getting involved in that bill. That said, it, it did pass the Senate Judiciary Committee recently with, I believe, um, 16 votes. And, and so um, some of those, those votes were from members of Congress, members of the Senate that still want to work out some of the details. And so I think that Senator Klobuchar and Senator Grassley, the, the two authors of the bill, they have a lot of work to do in the, in the coming weeks and months before that bill is probably ready for the, for the floor of the U.S. Senate. And then they've got the, the, the kind of Herculean task of trying to get you know time on the Senate floor. I mean, the most precious commodity in Washington D.C. sometimes is called the you know time on the Senate floor. So um, I'm not sure what the prospects are for necessarily doing it, but but that's a little bit of my analysis. Okay, well, I pre definitely appreciate that. Well, Jeff, we're almost out of time. You know, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, thanks for being part of this today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and thanks for everybody for giving us a little bit of time today. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Michigan VC Talk. This show focuses on guests that are investors, entrepreneurs, and other thoughtful leaders that are making a difference in the Michigan ecosystem. Produced by Michigan Venture Capital Association, a nonprofit trade organization designed to bring together 
venture capital industry participants in the state of Michigan and act as the voice of the Michigan entrepreneurial and investment community. For more information, visit us online at michiganvca.org.